That's the king in whose name we gather today. Welcome, everybody. Glad you're here. I want to give a special shout out to everyone joining us online. This is the first time in Eagle Church's 25 plus years of Sunday morning gatherings where we are live streaming to Facebook Live. So shout out to everybody on a beach in Florida, probably <laughs> hanging out with us. And we're going to step into this, so be patient with us. Those of you who will be joining, if you're traveling this week, we are, we're going to stream on Friday night for a Good Friday service as well, Easter Sunday next week. So if you're traveling, you can still stay linked up. But I'm sure we'll have some bumps to work through. So give us some feedback. Let us know. Make it an interactive forum, right? Kind of the heart and vision behind it is an ability to keep the broader Eagle community more connected together. Because after 25 years, we have more and more families from our college students, who some of them are struggling finding places to connect, all the way to missionaries serving in other parts of the world who don't even have a local church on their street or in a street nearby, an ability to keep all of that broader family more interconnected and more one group together. You with me in that? And then secondarily, who knows how God might use, um, you know, electronic platform to push out into other people's lives and worlds that aren't yet a part of the Eagle family. So be praying for that, and uh, welcome to what is the most significant seven-day period of time in the history of the world. Palm Sunday begins a sequence of days that I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor. You say, well, you pastor, you're paid to say that. No, listen. This is the most significant seven-day period we're remembering that our world has ever seen. More was altered in this next 168 hours than in any other period of time in history, and we're going to look at that today. And it begins with Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, which is the significance of what Palm Sunday is. So if you haven't already done so, open up your note sheet there or pull out your app, and we're going to be tracking several different passages. We're going to start in Luke 19 today, but to get us into Luke 19, check out the verse in Luke 9 up here on the screen. Here's, here's kind of the beginning stage of Palm Sunday, Luke 9, 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus, circle, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now in verse 51 there, I want you to see the time. This is the kairos moment. Do you know the difference in the scriptures between man's time or our time, chronos, right, our watch time? That's like sequence of events, minutes, seconds, days, years. That's how we measure time, chronos. But when time is used here, this is why in Jesus's, did you notice through the Gospels when Jesus would perform a miracle and then he would disappear, the people wanted to thrust him into some public ministry. And have you ever read through some of those stories and go, why is Jesus like playing hide and seek? You ever wondered that? This is why, because it wasn't the Father's, it wasn't on their Kronos time. He was waiting for the Father's Kairos moment. The Kairos moment is Luke 9 where he says at God's appointed time, the time had come for him to enter Jerusalem. And this is the God-appointed moment for him to kind of go public. So it's not, he was playing discreet at different points and withdrawing because the people, like we often do, we're ready to thrust our chronos on God's kairos. Have you noticed that? Like we're ready, like right now. And I found my chronos doesn't sync up with God's kairos very often. And when I do, that's when I come run into the house of the Lord and sing how great is our God when that happens. But generally speaking, God's Kairos moment and my Kronos, the Kronos is just a lot longer. And same thing for the people. 
Jesus was 30 years old. How do you think the Virgin Mary, his mother, would have thought, surely when he got to be maybe 16, maybe 18, he was gonna go like public. How about when he turned 20? Surely when he got to 25, can you imagine Mary going back to the wood shop with Joseph and going, hey, when's this guy gonna go and do something about the Romans and deal with the massive injustice? We've got so much darkness. Like, go do your Messiah thing. It was a clearly a unique birth. And I gave birth to you, and I know you're the son of God. I believe in you. Why is this taking so long? Anybody been there? Anybody been praying about something? You go, Lord, how much longer, oh, Lord? It's Kairos versus Kronos. And this is kind of the first entry point of our week. All week long, here's what we're going to do as a church family. We're going to put our feet where Jesus put his We're going to put our feet right there. So all through this service this morning, we're just going to put our feet where Jesus put his feet. And right here, we're going to put our feet with his entry into Jerusalem. Look at Luke 19. Here's where we find Jesus' feet, verse 36 and following. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Cloaks would be like an outer jacket, garment type. When he came to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. See, they had seen him do so many things. So their chronos was thrust him, go public, be the Messiah, deal with the Romans, put the Jews back in power. Let's get this show on the road. Do you see? That's what's going on. There's all this momentum, and now he's waited. It's God's time right now. Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. In Matthew 21, he sings Hosanna. That word Hosanna that we just sang means the Lord saves. So they're shouting the Lord saves and they're waving their palm branches. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd. Now the Pharisees would be like the religious police. They'd be like the professors in the religion department who are supposed to be teaching everyone about God. They had the large flowing robes. They had the big thick Bibles, like the double stuff Oreo sized Bible with like the five highlighters in it and all that. I mean, they carried all that stuff around. They looked the part. The issue with the Pharisees is they didn't have the life. Jesus was standing right in front of them and they missed Jesus. So they're supposed to have a PhD on Jesus. He's standing in front of him and they miss him. And that can happen sometimes, right? We can get so immersed in religion that we miss Jesus. And that's what's going on here. The Pharisees are in the crowd. And they say to to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Are you kidding me? You're supposed to be the one teaching all these disciples. And they're telling him now, hey, shut these guys up. Because they don't get, this is the Messiah. He's coming in, like Bryce said, on the back of a donkey to fulfill a prophecy that was written 500 years before that this is how the Messiah would come to town. Verse 40, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. It's basically Jesus telling the Pharisees, hey, a box of rocks knows more about this situation than you guys do. So this is where all the tension is. So so here's this entry point. Some parts of the world call today Hosanna Sunday to represent this. Because not everybody has palm branches. Like in Indiana, we struggle with the imagery of palm branches. But all of you, you know, headed to Florida or down in Florida now, you you get the imagery of palm branches. They just go out and use the palm branches. Do you know in England and Poland this morning, they call this day Willow Sunday? Why? Because they're pulling branches off the willow trees and they're waving the willow branches. And those palm branches were to symbolize kind of an honor and respect. And do you see the cloaks laying on the road? What is it about the cloaks? I want you to think about that as like red carpet being rolled out. 
right? So they, they had such a reverence for Jesus as he was coming in. The disciples and the followers said, hey, the dust on the road, that's too, that's too low class for our king. We gotta keep the dust down. So they took off their cloaks. Imagine how dirty those cloaks got because the roads were dirt. And they threw them down so the donkey wouldn't kick up the dust. And so there's the humility picture. And they're waving their palm branches to communicate honor and authority. They're acknowledging their king has come. And so this morning, as we put our feet in Palm Sunday, here's what I'd like us to reflect on for a couple of minutes. Where's the intersection of Kronos and Kairos in your life these days? Do you come into Easter week kind of with a haranguing fist on the I'll say, God, I just don't understand your timing and your ways in this. I've been convinced for a long time this needs to happen, and you're waiting now. You're waiting for your Kronos to align with his Kairos. So maybe this is your moment to surrender. So you know what, Lord? I'm gonna surrender my time and I'm gonna surrender my ways and I'm gonna trust your appointed time and your appointed ways. And the second question is, in what ways is he calling you maybe to slide off the cloak of your heart and lay it down on the road and to pick up your own version of a palm branch and to wave it in honor and authority and recognition that our king, he didn't come with a motorcade like they expected. He came in the motorcade that communicated the nature of his kingship. He was coming as a suffering servant. He was gonna descend into greatness. He was a king unlike any other king of that day because all the other kings had royalty and all kinds of motorcades and here he comes lowly and humble on the back of a donkey. So perhaps as we put our feet where Jesus puts his, today is a day where we have some things to lay down. This is a good day to reflect on. What is it right now where you feel the tug from God to say, hey, lay that down. Loosen your grip on this. Trust my Kairos moment to come. So after a night of rest on Sunday night, Jesus enters into the temple courts on Monday. So Matthew 21, if you wanna follow along there, you can turn to Matthew 21. Here's where we find Jesus on Monday. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of robbers. So the temple area is on what is known as a plot of land called Mount Moriah. That may strike a memory for those of you who know Genesis 22 well, where Abraham was called to sacrifice Isaac to go up Mount Moriah on the temple mount. That's the same piece of ground. Today, it's the Dome of the Rock. So that golden dome that you see on your newscast, CNN puts in the backdrop when they show Jerusalem, that's actually a Muslim, that's a mosque. The Dome of the Rock is a Muslim holy site, but it's built right over the top of Mount Moriah. Do you understand there might be a little tension there? Right over the top of this piece of ground where the temple that Jesus is referring to here, this is where he's at physically. I tried to go to the Dome of the Rock area when I was there this past June. I couldn't get close enough because it was Ramadan, which is a holy month for Muslims, and there were 400,000 Muslims from around the world all at the Dome of the Rock. So all I could do was get within several hundred yards of that area 
And so it just kind of reinforces again just how much religious history is on that piece of ground. So Jesus is going to the temple area, and here's how it was designed in Jesus' day. There was an outer courtyard in the temple area where non-Jews could come and prepare themselves to enter into worship. What would the preparations look like? Well, the non-Jews, which would have been primarily Romans in descent, the Roman currency needed to be exchanged for Jewish currency, shekels, because when they went into the temple, they had to give their offerings in shekels, the Jewish currency. So they would go into the outer courtyard area, and there would be a place to do a money exchange, to take your Roman currency and to get it into Jewish currency. That's one thing that was going on. Second thing that was going on is you probably traveled a good distance. You didn't bring your animals with you to take into the temple to sacrifice. So they made it like a convenient kind of as you're arriving at the temple, you could purchase your lamb, your goat, or your dove on your way into the temple. So there was the purchasing of the animals. And the dove, Leviticus 5 says, if you were from the poorer class, the dove is the animal you could take in for your sacrifice because it was the least expensive. The preferred was the lamb or the goat, but they give the option of saying, hey, if you can't afford it, you can do the dove. Now, shocker here for everybody, that whole system got corrupted. The whole thing. So it's kind of like, you know, when you get, your, you get your bill from your cell phone company and you're like, you've got your main charge and then your bottom line charge is a lot different than that and you see all these random add-ons you with me? Or the rental car counter you go to and you go, wait, I thought my rental car was like 20 bucks a day. It ends up being like 40 bucks a day because, okay, that's what's going on in the temple courts. People are coming with a currency exchange and, oh, there's some people taking advantage of that. People are coming to do the buying of their sacrificial animals, the doves and that. Oh, they're taking advantage of that. And Jesus walks into this scene and he is upset. And do you see what he's calling? Hey, you've lost what the purpose of this space is for. This isn't like your fundraiser of the year. He's shutting down the largest fundraiser for all of the religious institution right there. He's shutting it down by flipping the tables over. So everyone who's leading that financial institution out there, their faces are turning red because he's basically violating their main income stream right here. And he's resetting the original purpose of the temple. That this is supposed to be a sacred ground. This isn't about secular making, buying, and selling. This is a sacred act. This temple court is a preparation for worship. This is about prayer. This is about a God-centeredness. So he's resetting. So this is what Monday's about. Monday's about this moment. So to reflect here for a couple minutes on, are there some things maybe in our lives that when we put our feet where Jesus put his on Monday... We think about this. Sometimes second things in our lives start crowding out the first things. Do you remember the C.S. Lewis quote we've talked about before? Put first things first and second things are thrown in. Put second things first and you lose both first and second things. Do I need to say that again? You put first things first, this is C.S. Lewis, he said, and second things get thrown in. So when Jesus' comment here is, hey, keep the temple preparations about God, about the sacred, about the unseen. First things first. Second things will get thrown in. I will take care of you. You will be provided for. But you put second things first. You make the temple courts about making a living. You make it about generating income. You lose both first and second things. 
So perhaps as we put our feet with Jesus on Monday, maybe today's the day where we just reflect on our first things first. Is Jesus wanting to flip some tables over in your life, in my life? He's trying to flip something over and say, hey, I'm flipping that table over because I'm trying to reset rightly ordered loves of the heart. Second thing has become first thing. Flip that table over, get first things set first. Second things get thrown in. And so as the team leads us through this next song, I want you to just kind of reflect on that ordering that goes on when Jesus enters in on Monday. And he confronts something that's kind of out of line, out of sequence. And it's an act of trust where you keep the main thing the main thing, which this week of all weeks says, hey, he's worthy. This is to be a house of worship and a house of prayer and a house where his name is at the center. So also our own hearts and our own homes. So let's stand together as the team leads us and let's reflect on what he's flipping over and our first things first. So from his entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to the temple court area we could call Money Changer Monday to his lengthiest teaching session of the week, we could call it Confrontational Tuesday. He stays in that temple courts area And if you read through your Gospels, lots of words in red there where he is confronting the religious leaders, kind of those running the temple area, and he's challenging them of the first things first and second things first issues. He's talking about, hey, you're so caught up in religion, you've missed the Messiah right in front of you. And he's very confrontational about it. It's some of the most uncomfortable sections to read in Jesus. He goes straight to their heart. This is where you hear the phrase, whitewashed tombs. And he talks to them about that. They're like a cup that on the outside is all buffed up and on the inside is nasty. Brood of vipers, those kinds of things. These are the discussion he's having in the temple courts area on what is confrontational Tuesday, which moves us now. We're gonna keep putting our feet where Jesus put his, which leads us to Spy Wednesday, Matthew 26. Here's the scene on Wednesday. Then one of the 12, Matthew 26, verse 14, then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? Wow, does that tell you what's going on in Judas' heart? Now, Judas is one who was gathered around with Jesus, would have been in that inner circle with Jesus, being mentored and trained and taught about how they were gonna carry the movement on after this week. Judas is in that group. Somewhere, some things started to get sideways in his heart, and he began to go down a road of betrayal and say, hey, how much can I make off of betraying Jesus? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. In your Bibles, you can write, 10K, so modern day would be about $10,000, would be the equivalent of the 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So on Spy Wednesday, this is where we feel the weight that Jesus felt on being on the receiving end of a personal betrayal. And you don't have to live much life, right, to understand in human relationships, sometimes even those closest to us who've journeyed through large portions of our life, like Jesus is experiencing here, one of his very own 12 
decides to betray him and to sell him out. And so on Wednesday, we take some time to just kind of reflect upon where have we felt on the receiving end of such betrayal these days. And maybe if you were really candid, if you press really deep in some of the struggles in your own heart, maybe you felt in some layer where God has betrayed you this past year, where God hasn't come through, where God has turned his back. You know, that's part of the Spy Wednesday. The, the dynamic is where have you just felt that sting of disappointment? that ache that just says, this is not right. Anybody in the middle of a situation where you just keep saying under your breath or maybe out loud, this is not right, that's by Wednesday. Injustice, betrayal, not the way it's supposed to be. This is not how it's supposed to work out. We put our feet with Jesus right here. And here's kind of the posture I'd like us to take with this. We're going to have a kind of a moment of silence here. And um, Kelsey's just going to play lightly with the silence because I want you to just kind of internalize this for a moment. And then Krista Nussbaum's going to come up, one of our high school students, and she's going to lead through a responsive reading. And the goal of this time is to enter into this space to recognize the depth of hurt and pain and all that comes with these kind of betrayals and then to keep our feet anchored with Jesus in this thought to let God come and be our defender God is our defender you know what happens humanly when we feel we're on the receiving end of an act of betrayal you know what happens often I know for me I just want to move in and defend myself Prove yourself, defend yourself, argue your case. Draw attention to what that's not right. And Jesus, as we'll see as we keep following his feet, he continues to live in this posture. The Father will be my defender. God will get the last word. He's way better at it, by the way, than we are anyway. So maybe today, on this Spy Wednesday, we're just gonna lay down that propensity on the inside to respond back defend or point the finger we're going to lay some of that emotion down and we're just going to internalize God will be my defender God will get the last word he will set all that is wrong right most likely not in our time frame but he will do it so that's Spy Wednesday why don't you just close your eyes for a moment Take this minute of silence or so. Just center yourself. And then Krista will come.
join me and stand. I will read the lowercase and you guys will read the all uppercase. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I cry out to you, God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among the ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. They spread a net for my feet. I am bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. Awake my soul, awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. commend Psalm 57 to you, by the way, if Spy Wednesday is especially pertinent to your holy week this week. Um, that's probably a good, a good prayer to anchor yourselves in under this banner of putting your feet where Jesus put his on Wednesday, which leads us now to Monday, Thursday. So from Palm Sunday to Money Changing Monday to Confrontational Tuesday to Spy Wednesday, we're with Jesus now on Monday, Thursday, which is the day when he has his last supper. So the, the phrase, the last supper, commemorates his final meal that he's having with his disciples before he eventually is going to the cross on Friday in his earthly life. They won't be sharing this kind of meal together again. That's where the title, the last supper, comes from. So we're in John 13 now, if you want to turn there. John 13, here's the scene, verse 2 and following. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. In verse 3, underline Jesus knew, and now in verse 4, underline so he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So this would be a normal procedure in arriving at a home back in that day. The roads were all dirt-covered, quite dusty. The sandals were all open-toed. So when you arrived at someone's home, you were greeted on the front porch area by kind of the youngest and least trained servant in the house. This would have been his task, to have a basin of water, to have a towel, to go out to the front porch and to wash 
the feet of your guests as they enter into your home. Everyone would have known this practice. This is why, as you continue to read the chapter, why did Peter struggle so much with Jesus taking up the posture? Notice I had you underline, Jesus knew, that's his identity. Jesus knew who he was, so out of his identity, his actions flowed. He understood his position that the Father had assigned to him was a servant, a suffering king, one who was going to give himself away. He understood who he was, so therefore he picked up a basin of water and a towel and he found a dirty foot. Because if you know who you are, then if you know you're a servant, then acts of servanthood will naturally follow. Jesus knew he was supposed to be a servant. He knew that that's his posture. So an act of servanthood would be, hey, someone's on the front porch, their feet are dirty, I'm going to wash their feet. And Peter freaks out like we would have all at that point. Hey, you know, that's not the proper, that's not the proper action for the Messiah, for our king. You tried to rip the towel and the basin of water from Jesus and let me, you know, I'm going to take, no, no. Because Peter was saying, hey, you know, a king isn't supposed to like wash feet. His feet are supposed to be washed. A king isn't supposed to take up the towel. He's supposed to have someone do the towel washing for him. A king isn't supposed to bow down. Notice it would have been the posture, right? Isn't that a beautiful posture? You see Jesus bowing. And there's so many artists who have done an amazing job with this scene. And if you travel the world and you go to cathedrals, especially in Europe, you'll see this scene portrayed so beautifully, this posture of Jesus bowing. Peter's like, you, you're not supposed to bow down. We're supposed to bow down to you. And do you see the irony of this whole scene? So here's Monday, Thursday. Here's putting our feet with Jesus where he put his. I want you to get this picture that Jesus is serving his group when they're kind of at their worst. Judas just betrayed him. Peter's about to deny him. The rest of the group's gonna scatter and run within a day. They're all deserting him. Jesus knows all of this, and in the midst of them being at their worst, he bows down and he serves them. Isn't that a picture of grace? Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Grace is recognizing when you're in the posture of the least likely recipient, Jesus does it anyway. That's grace. Thursday is about the posture of a receiver. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You're the last person who should have Jesus washing your feet. But this is the kind of savior that this week is about. That even when you least expect it or least deserve it, Jesus comes and he brings his basin of water and he brings his towel to you and he washes. And then the last part of John 13, he uses this whole scene and he says, by the way, as a teacher, here's the relationship. Jesus has a leadership role, and then there's a follower role. So I want you to see this lesson in followership here. We probably need a lot more discussion about follow, followership today in our lives. We need some followership seminars, a few less leadership seminars maybe. More like followership 101 and followership workshops because here's a followership workshop where he says, hey, the nature of the leader-follower relationship is the followers inherit the lifestyle of the leader, the agenda, the priorities of the leader. You see how that works? So he says at the end of John 13, hey guys, I know you're like breaths all being taken away here and you're trying to get your arms around this. Here's a point. Now that I've done this, you follow my example. Do as I do. You go do what I do. And in that propels perhaps the greatest movement of servanthood the world has ever seen. 
If you just scan our globe under the banner of Jesus' posture of servanthood and everything that has spawned from that, to hospitals and ministries for the poor and the dying, to the food pantries, to all those things in between, all under the banner of this. You do what I just did. Jesus picks up the basin of water and the towel, and now he says to you and I, hey, you're going to follow me? Here's a followership lesson. Follow in this. Grab a basin of water, grab a towel, and look for a dirty foot. And just wash. Thursday is this picture of greatness is selfless. And for some of you right now who are in the throes of one of those windows in parenting, you know, sometimes you go, well, you're just trying to survive each day under your own roof. You can't even fathom what it's like to think outside your roof at the moment. Do you know that there's a picture right there of the greatness that Jesus says to you as a parent? You give yourself away to members in your own family. That's an act of servanthood. Maybe being a younger mom or a younger dad, or maybe you're a grandparent caring for some grandchildren, that you give yourself away to those young lives. They're probably never going to be able to express the gratitude that you think you, they ought to express periodically. I remember the first time I ever sent my mom a thank you card. I was like 22 years old. And I remember sitting down on a Mother's Day and it was just dawning on me. Now, you know, boys were a little slower to the equation on everything. But, you know, I was just sitting down as I got into my young 20s and I started grasping all of the selfless ways my mom had served me for the 22 years of my life. And why it hadn't occurred to me until that, I don't know, but I remember just sitting and writing in a card and just kind of outlining, Mom, all those times when you like stayed up half the night and I was puking or whatever, and I got to stay home from school, and you went to work. It just hit me like she had to be exhausted. And that would go on for like days. Or other things that come to your mind. Right, as a parent, you're going to selfless, you're going to pick up your towel and basin of water. It may be washing all the feet of those under your own roof. Or maybe you've been thrust into another sequence where you just know there's, a, there's an act of selflessness that the Lord is calling forth from you that every fiber of your being is screaming against. You're in Monday, Thursday. And Jesus says, hey, go where I go. Don't just talk what I talk. Do what I do. Grab a basin of water, find a dirty foot, and get to making a difference in our world. Do you think we've got a world around us that's screaming for genuine acts of servanthood today? Just people who with no other agenda than just an act of love to help someone in need? Imagine what the ripple effect out from Holy Week might be if the body of Christ were mobilized in a John 13 spirit to just serve, to recognize greatness at its core is selfless. So let's put our feet with Jesus on Monday, Thursday, shall we? And just reflect upon as the team leads us through this song, you know, where's that pull to kind of kneel down and give yourself away? And secondly, the only way, by the way, you can sustain doing that is if you learn to live in the posture of a receiver. So part of Monday, Thursday is to receive this love and grace from Jesus afresh that moves us to this posture of giving it away to others. So today, Monday, Thursday is about this funnel of receiving from him that moves us out in loving acts of service to those around us. So let's stand together as the team leads us.
in our journey in the book of Colossians, talking about a God-soaked life. And we said these six weeks are about spiritual renewal and kind of hitting a reset internally and uh, evaluating condition and direction of our own heart and making sure we're in sync with the significance of what this next seven days is all about. So let me send you forth this morning with just a little, some guidance as you step into the rest of the week, how to leverage these 168 hours in what's called Holy Week. This is where it gets its title, Passion Week or Holy Week. It represents all that we've been discussing this morning. So personally, you could take some time in the Gospels this week. Take John 12 and read it through the end. And you could, it's not too difficult to follow the days of the week that we just covered, but even if you didn't do that, just kind of immersing yourself from John 12 through John 21. That'd be a good exercise between now and when we gather on Friday night. So the next time we'll be together, Friday night, 7 o'clock, right in here. And we've crafted a service together. Here's kind of the, the rhythm of Easter weekend. It's a rhythm that you encounter if you just live life. All you got to do is be breathing and living and you're going to encounter this rhythm. Here's how it goes. Endings, waitings, new beginnings. That's what Easter weekend's going to be about. Endings, waitings, new beginnings. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You with me? So as we prepare for Friday, here's what I want you to kind of prepare yourself physically as well for Friday. So 7 o'clock Friday night in our worship service, we will begin a 24-hour fast. So the, actually the last bite of food you're going to have is that little piece of bread off the communion table <laughs> for 24 hours. So we'll have a little extra larger loaves of bread, I guess, for communion Friday night. And 24-hour food fast until 7 o'clock Saturday night to help ground the realities of endings and the waitings, okay? So we'll fast together from Friday night at seven, even those of you, all of you joining us on live stream online, all of you heading out to much warmer and nicer climates than here, I'd still invite you to be a part of that because you're still a part of Holy Week and it's still the significance of participating in what will be Friday, we'll have communion together on Friday night as well, and then we'll fast on Saturday, and then we'll regather on Sunday morning to burst forth with resurrection noise. So are we all in sync for this week? Friday, Saturday, into Sunday. We'll just do one Easter service at 10 o'clock. We'll tell Carl to set up all the chairs we have because it's Easter Sunday, and so invite friends and family that are in this area. That would be great. Last couple things before I give you a benediction. We also have a new discipleship class beginning shortly after this Easter week. So April 11th on Wednesday night, we're going to do eight Wednesday nights under the banner of Emotionally Healthy Relationships. So this is a course designed to help us learn how to love people well. So if you're going through some stuff in life where you're having a difficulty loving some people who are maybe difficult to love, or perhaps you're the one that's difficult for others to love, or everywhere in between, Emotionally Healthy Relationships is going to get really practical ways of learning how to listen well, how to do conflict the way Jesus would call us to do conflict, how to speak in ways that are appreciative, and hopefully the fruit of this class will be living out the great commandment all the more. So Emotionally Healthy Spirituality was about loving God, Emotionally Healthy Relationships about loving others. 
So if you want to be a part of that, you go online or go on the app and sign up. I think we've got 60 or 70 folks signed up already. We're going to cap it at about 110 participants by the time you add up all the table leaders. That's about all the bodies we can handle for one course. So we expect it to fill up. Um, myself and Julia Davis will be leading that class April 11th all the way through the eight Wednesday nights following. It'll end the last Wednesday of May. And then we're having a membership class. Some of you who are newer to the Eagle family and you've been wanting to jump in membership-wise, on April 15th, right after service, we'll have some lunch together and we'll sit for about an hour and we'll just talk about what it means to become more connected into the Eagle Church family. So I'll be leading that class as well, so you're welcome to be a part of that and you can just sign up uh, online or on the app that way. All right, let's stand together. I wanna send you out with a benediction from 1 John 2. Here's how the Apostle John says it, 1 John 2, 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So may the Jesus who made Holy Week not just a study of history, but made it a lived reality for you and I. May that Jesus, by the power of his spirit, send you forth this week to set your face resolutely to whatever he's calling you to set your face to. And may he empower you by his spirit to put your feet where he put his. Go and walk in the ways of Jesus as the people of Jesus. Go in his name, amen.